When I watched Friday the 13th Part 2 for the first time, it was on late night TV and heavily edited to the point where there were sort of random time jumps and the words matched the mouths of the characters about three quarters of the time. Even through those heavy edits for the television, there, there was one character who really shined through. The camera lingered on just every tilt of her head. It, it paused on every bright new bow that was just holding back her flowing hair. She was a walking cotton ball in the middle of the woods, just a four-legged bundle of charisma. It was Muffin. It was sweet, sweet little Muffin. This is bittersweet ramblings. And every time I think about Friday the 13th Part 2, all I can think of is a lost opportunity to be a series of murderous buddy flicks. A true love story between a killer with mommy issues and the dog who just can't help but love him. So when I was first watching the movie Friday the 13th Part 2, there was just one character I just ended up rooting for. Muffin, a delightful little pile of white fluff, just guilelessly traipsing through the campgrounds, a just carefully groomed little puffball of joy just trotting through the woods. I know that whenever I have gone to a campground in the woods, there's there's nothing that really fits in like a tiny little cotton puff of dog with like a bow on the top of its head just sort of floofing around all over the place. Now, for anyone who has had the misfortune to never have seen Friday the 13th Part 2, I'm going to give you a rough summary. So, spoiler alert, if you've never seen this movie, which is decades old, or really seen any slasher movie ever, this, this may come as a shock to you. There are teenagers at a camp, and an unhinged, deformed, unkillable maniac who wears a burlap sack over his head because the hockey mask wasn't part of his trademark style yet, sees him and goes out on a killing spree. Now I know I have spoiled this movie for some people. People who have never seen or even heard of the plot of a slasher movie due to surviving a plane crash as a toddler and living with wolves until some social media influencers who are out glamping to create content trapped the wolf child in a hand-created basket woven from shoelaces and twigs and baited with artesian waffles and deionized water. Now, the rest of the summary of the movie is going to be a little rough, because I didn't actually watch the movie more than once or twice years ago. Now, a responsible person would rewatch the movie to see if they're remembering it correctly, so I'm not going to do that because I don't want to. I really prefer to keep my memories frozen in amber, not memories frozen in clear ice. Just in amber, slightly altered with a golden filter on it so that, you know, it's sepia-toned to keep it nostalgic. I just remember a few isolated scenes and I did not wa <laughs> bother watching a version that was not edited for TV. So this is the way I'm choosing to remember the movie. Continuing with the plot, which, as previously stated, I accurately remember, there were a bunch of kids partying in a cabin in woods. Uh, woods that were notorious for previous murders, but hey, it's all cleared up now. 
So as they're partying in this cabin, somebody left the screen door to the cabin open, and our hero, Muffin, slipped through the door. Muffin decided to go exploring by herself at a campsite with a, a history of serial murders. Now, normally I am all for exploration, but this particular cocktail of murder camp, tiny dog, drunken caretakers, it, it just left me concerned. Now, when I first saw this movie, I could not stop myself from talking at the screen. Even, even when it was way too late, on a night when I had snuck downstairs to watch midnight movies with my parents sleeping in the room next door. Parents who would instantly send me to my room if they woke. Even with that immediate danger, I could not stop talking at the screen when Muffin went into the woods. It erupted from me. I couldn't stop. Just constantly. Muffin. Muffin, go back. Go back to the cabin. Muffin. Muffin, the woods are not a good place for a little dog like you. Go back to the cabin. Muffin, go back to the campsite. You need to be back in the cabins. But no matter how much I tried, just heart in my throat, my pleas to the empty screen were ignored. Muffin just kept bouncing through the woods, ambling all the way towards this sort of ramshackle, half-built shack. I just kept talking to the screen. Muffin! Muffin, don't go into the shack! It does not matter what interesting smells are in the shack. Do not go in the shack. <laughs> no, Muffin. Muffin, run away, my sweet, sweet little puppy. Run away. But Muffin just kept trotting away until she ran straight into a pair of booted feet. And she looked up with the sweet innocence in her eye only to have the camera cut away. And I was alarmed because for an 80s movie, the camera had dwindled for a long time on Muffin. It was a lot of screen time for a pet in a movie that's not titled, you know, Cujo or Pet Cemetery, neither of which turned out very well for the pets. At the same time, I was thinking to myself, movies like this don't kill dogs. They slaughter teenagers with no real character development left and right, but not a dog. And definitely not a sweet little bundle of fluff like Muffin. What what lunatic director would kill Muffin? They won't kill Muffin. Muffin will be fine. And I sat there and I watched the movie, just waiting, waiting for Muffin to come back on screen. And a scene or two later, a few of those degenerate teens who deserted Muffin in her time of need, they finally just meander out to the woods to go search for her. The entire time they're out there, you know, kicking through piles of leaves, I'm thinking to myself, she's going to be fine. She's a sweet little puppy. She'll be okay. And then during their search, buried in some leaves, they find some white fur, which is covered in blood. At which point I whisper screamed, they killed Muffin. Because my parents were still sleeping in the other room and so I, I couldn't actually scream. Nevertheless, I was, I was dumbfounded and I was deeply upset. And I, I started doing something that I don't normally do. I started actively rooting for everyone in the movie to die. For not looking out for Muffin. I just sat there watching them fall one by one. Every time, you know, Jason would sneak up behind somebody, he'd be like, Oh, 
guess what? You would have lived if you would have taken care of Muffin. And oh, oh no, you didn't hear a lunatic with a machete coming up around that corner? Muffin would have warned you if Jason was that close to you. Too bad you let her die. And then some other stuff happened and a bunch of more poorly developed characters died, including a guy in a wheelchair who was macheted in the head and rolled down a set of stairs, blah, blah, blah. And then, then we get to the end of the movie with, you know, the remaining couple who um, have barricaded themselves in a cabin after he, you know, dramatically carried her to the cabin, cradled in his arms because she just couldn't walk by herself when there's a maniac chasing after her. And they, they hear something at the door and, and they arm themselves with just whatever's in the cabin and creep over to the door and carefully open it. And through that door comes Muffin. And, you know, the heroine reacts and reach out to Muffin and then, you know, Jason jumped through the window and grabbed her, I think. Honestly, I missed a bit of the movie at this point because I was too busy jumping up and down and just screaming at the screen, Muffin made it! Which did wake my dad, but he just kind of looked at me and shook his head and went to the bathroom. My joy at, at seeing Muffin survive, I think it was similar to the feeling that people have when, you know, their team is down by 50,000 at halftime and then they come back and win it. When I was watching this movie, I should have known better because Muffin didn't need idiot teenagers to look after her. Muffin was looking out for Muffin. Just because she has long white hair and a cute little hair bow and was, you know, less of a runner and more of a prancer, it, it doesn't mean that Muffin needs help. Muffin was ready from the start and it was my fault for misjudging her capabilities. What didn't happen in future installments, but what should have happened was Muffin and Jason becoming buddies. Who can resist that sweet fluffy little face? Certainly not even a madman who hangs around a children's summer camp attacking teenagers. I think back to this pivotal time in the movie and I yearn for the missed opportunity of this unique yin and yang. You have a tall, mask-wearing, homicidal maniac paired with a short, hairbow-wearing, possibly less homicidal puppy. It's really a duo for the ages. Jason doesn't have to change his look. Jason can continue to look just like he does. He has a style that has stayed steady through the years and should and could continue to do so. Some people wear caps, some people have different shoes, some people wear old hockey masks and look like they live in a hayloft and, you know, carry a machete as an accessory. I don't want to take away the style that works for him. I want Muffin to stay the same as well. Long hair, bow wearing, just groomed to precision. And she can continue to be just as sweet and charming. No weird growling at people, no hair dyed wild colors or turned into a mohawk or having a studded color or anything like that. Just cute, fluffy, hair bow wearing muffin, continuing to wear cute hair bows and to look adorable. You know, and they can keep living in the shack. Like he can have the altar to his dead mother as long as there's a space for muffin with, you know, dog grooming equipment and a doggy bed and doggy glamour shots and shiny pretty frames. You could have someone going out for a nice evening walk around Crystal Lake. Instead of, you know, playing creepy music to signal 
danger, you could, you know, hear the pitter-patter of little feet. And then Muffin would come around the corner and they would relax. And then Jason would come up behind them and he could machete them. Now, in these movies, there is one issue I ran across, and that's there tends to be a lot of running and, you know, Muffin has short legs, so it might be kind of hard to kick up. So I think there should be an investment in a bike. Not, not a tandem bike. <laughs> that would be crazy. Muffin is too cute to put effort into pedaling. No, a, a bike with a basket in the front for Muffin so that she can help direct, you know, Jason to find, you know, the teenagers. She's there to help. And, you know, of course, the, the basket should have flower decorations just to class it up a bit. And that way, you know, whoever is being stalked by Jason, you know, thinks they lost him and they hear a ding ding because the bike also has a bell. And then they'll see like a bike parked with Muffin in the basket looking adorable. And then Jason comes at them from the side. And then because it's the 80s, then you get to the part of the series where Muffin and Jason have to part ways for a while because, you know, the buddy stories become stagnant. So you need like a dramatic breakup. Except that one doesn't talk and the other one can only like bark and whine. So the big argument can like show Jason in a mask just looking blankly and then it shifts to Muffin looking upset and then shifts back to Jason in a mask, you know, looking blank and then back to Muffin who like barks and growls and then Jason in a mask looking blank and then Muffin looks sad and she whines a bit and then you could go back to Jason in a in a mask looking blankly at her and then you know muffin just slowly trotting out the door and then when they're living separate jason you know he can kind of keep looking at the pictures of muffin you know on the altar to his mother all the glamour shots of muffin like pink satin around her and white feather boas with shiny shiny silver and rhinestone crusted picture frames Shifting to Muffin at a fancy mansion, running across marble floors to the kitchen with her ears popping up and an excited look on her face, which changes to disappointment when she realizes that the knife they pulled out of the cabinet is one they're just going to use to, like, chop up vegetables. When it comes time to slaughter defenseless teenagers again, will Jason's heart be in it? Will Muffin find a way to satiate her bloodlust by proxy? Will this broken friendship ever be repaired? Will they be able to get an apartment in the city and have kooky neighbors who keep unexpectedly dying in kitchen knife accidents? As I was reading this, I realized there's a possibility I was influenced by watching too many special episodes of sitcoms of the 80s, and they may have affected my brain development. And now I have a tendency to view every movie through the lens of, you know, odd couple roommates thrown together to afford an apartment in the city. Deep down... All I want to see is an 80s-style movie poster with Jason in a hockey mask and a machete standing there with sweet little furry muffin by his side, with a cute little bow in her hair just looking as cute and adorable as ever. Thank you for listening. Sorry I had a long, sort of unanticipated break. It was a combination of not properly separating home from work while working at home, my father having open-heart surgery, He's doing fine and general fatigue. So again, thank you for listening and have a good night.